know, isn't it true, man, that it just doesn't sit well with us um, when something projects to be one thing, but it's not that thing in reality. You ever notice how it doesn't sit well with us when there is an inconsistency between something that, what something appears to be and what it actually is? Maybe you've experienced this with an Airbnb, right? You're, you're going somewhere with your friends or for a you know, bachelor party or whatever, and, and, and you find these great pictures and there's not many reviews, and you get there and you're like, this is not the same house, right? Like, and, and they didn't tell us that they're doing 24-hour construction right next door, right? And have you ever been there where you're just frustrated because the things that appear on the surface are not as they actually are? Maybe you've experienced this in a relationship. You got into it, and they were projecting one thing, and you got in, you're like, oh, man, this, this is a different person. Or maybe with a job, you got into a job, and, and they sold it really well, and, and, and you saw like them on their best day, and then you got into the day-to-day, and you're like, this thing is not what I thought, isn't it? It just doesn't sit well with us in our spirit, in our hearts, when something appears to be one thing, but it's actually different. I was having breakfast this week with a couple in our church family, they're deciding if they want to be part of our church family. And they, they ask this really good question. I, I don't think I've ever been asked this question before, but we were sitting down. They're like, hey, we're pretty new to Ethos. And they said, is there any drama going on in the church? <laughs> and so I just started naming some of your sins. Of... <laughs> so if they come up to you and talk to you, no, j- totally just kidding. I'm just kidding about that. Um, but I thought it was a really good question. They're like, hey, we don't know what is going on. It appears on the surface is a really great church, but... Like, what's been going on in the past? And is there any drama? And it wasn't this, like, leading, this fishing question. They weren't looking for gossip. They were just going, hey, we know so often things don't always appear as they are in reality. And I've had some time to think about that question this week. You know, I answered him, like, you know what? Of course we've got some drama because we're people. But, like, there's nothing big that we're trying to hide. There's not any skeletons in the closet. I've been thinking about, you know, like, I love so many things about our church. But one of the things that I, I really love that, that I get the benefit of seeing is, you know, with our leadership, our elders and our wives, what you see is what you actually get. And, and it's a gift when, when the leaders and the Rotowalls and the Wilsons and the Barnetts that you see the, the, the private life matches up with the public life. Um, you know, I've thought about this with, with our, our kind of pastoral staff and with, with Will, who leads worship most weeks, and Hudson, who led worship today, and, and with Sam and Andrew and Dave and then our kids team. And, 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 and what you see is what you get. And we're not perfect in our, in our staff, our bigger staff across ethos. We're not this perfect body that does everything right. But, but what Matt, there is a, a, a connect. There is this, this, this a matching between what you see it, being projected and what's actually below the surface. And I don't say that to like try to sell ethos to you. You're like, why are you telling me that? I just go, man, there are so many things about our lives that we are fooled, that we are deceived, that on the surface it seems one thing, but... In actuality, it's something different. And there is just this joy in our hearts when what appears lines up with what it actually is. This morning, we're going to be um, continuing our study through the book of Revelation. And we're going to be um, looking at this church, the church of Sardis, and we're going to be engaging with this issue, honestly, that, that people have had with the church for a really long time. And maybe you come here today and you're not a Christian. Maybe this has been a kind of a, a, a catch for you. 
But really what we're going to be looking at is, what does Jesus think about a church? What does Jesus claim about, what does Jesus say to a group of people who claim to follow Jesus? But there's an inconsistency about what actually is and what's projecting on the surface. Verse one, we're gonna jump in to just walking through this verse by verse this morning. Revelation three, starting in verse one, says to the angel of the church in Sardis, right? These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. And so for the past four weeks, we've been looking at these letters that were written by this man named John, but they were written from Jesus' heart. Jesus appears to John and he says, I want you to send these letters to what is now in Western Turkey, in modern day Western Turkey. And we've talked about how every week these letters have just been following the postal route. And so continuing on that today, the church of Sardis, and, and we've talked about how the form of every letter has been very similar. Every week, the, Jesus does the same thing. He, he speaks to the church in a particular city, and then he gives them some, some specifics about who he is. And so it's clear, I love that David's really kind of hammered this home, that this is primarily a letter to God's people. This is not a letter to, to the Chamber of Commerce in the city of Sardis. This is not to the sorority sisters in the city of Sardis. This is to the people of God who are gathered trying to follow Jesus. This is to the, the church, and it's in a, a, a church that's written in a particular city, the city of Sardis. Now, Sardis, I'm going to give us some historical context here. It's a really interesting city. It's incredibly wealthy. Um, in the ancient world, they were wealthy for several reasons. One of the reasons is because literally there was just gold like in, in the rock beds and in the water. Like You know you're doing something right, right? When, when you just walk outside and your city's wealthy because there's just gold there. You chose wisely you know, where to plant your roots. And so part of the reason Sardis was wealthy is just natural resources. But part of the other reason that Sardis was really wealthy is because they were great entrepreneurs. They were, um, it is believed that dyed wool started in the city of Sardis crazy to think about. So they're this, this wealthy city from gold. They're this wealthy city because they'd figured out how to manufacture and ship all over the ancient world and, and lots of money. So they're this wealthy city. They are an intelligent city, but they're also this, this pagan city. Um, as they've, as they've um, um, excavated the, the, the city where Sardis used to be, they discovered all of these um, pagan temples to other gods, God of Artemis and Cybele. It's a wealthy city. It's a pagan city. It was a beautiful city. It was a city that was literally built up on a hill, right on a river. You could see for miles and miles, and it was so beautiful. But part of the reason that the city was built on this hill was also for safety. The city was built on a hill, and it was literally surrounded by, by um, vertical rock faces, which made the people feel really safe. That's why the people of Sardis were completely shocked when in the middle of the night, the Persians under Cyrus, King Cyrus, proved to be literally pioneers for free soloing, like as they climbed the rock face in the middle of the night. People of Sardis didn't think it was possible. And they found this chimney, this crack, literally in the vertical rock wall. And they, and they climbed up it and they, it was a sneak attack in the middle of the night. They weren't watching, they felt secure, they felt comfortable, they felt wealthy, they felt they were invincible, and it was in the middle of the night that the city fell. 
It's so interesting that literally this thing happened with, with Cyrus and it happened 200 years later. You would think the city would learn its lesson. Like we need to put some guards around that crack. Like they learned the lesson twice. And all their wealth and all their perceived safety and all their comfort, the city fell. And it's interesting because Jesus looks at this city with all of this history this wealthy, this pagan, this elevated city, this church that feels really comfortable and secure. And he gives him the picture of himself. And he says, I hold the seven spirits of God. And, and we're like, what in the world does that mean? Well, it was Jesus's way of saying that I hold the spirit of God in my hand and I can pour out the spirit of God on whomever and however much I want. That the spirit is mine to pour out. And he says, and I hold the, the seven stars. And it's his way of saying, you need to understand church that this isn't just a message from John. This is a message from me, the risen Jesus. This, is, this letter is a little bit different. We're about to jump into unpacking. It's different than, than the letters that we've looked at most weeks because Jesus doesn't come to the church with this encouragement sandwich right? You know, so often the way that these letters have started is Jesus looks at the church and he'll, it'll come with some, you know, pat you on the back, says what you're doing well. And then he gets into, hey, and there's some things that need to be corrected. And then he kind of ends with this, you know, pat on the back and comfort. And the letter of Sardis is really different because Jesus just sits down with the church metaphorically. And he says, hey, I've got some words for you. You ever had one of those conversations where you sit down and you're like, hey, we're just going to cut right to the chase. There's no use in, 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 in making this more than it is. I've got some hard words for you. And Jesus looks at this church and in verse one, this is what he says to the church of Sardis. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. It's really sobering. I think those words are, are meant to make us look really closely at our own lives and at our church, in our house church. You know, we don't know the details of the church in, in Sardis, but what we do know is that around the city, this church had a really good reputation. And so you can just imagine that, that people at the Titans game and people at the you know, Preds games are going, man, that church, man, they, they're so good at loving people. And, and that church, man, they, they take care of the poor. And yeah, they have a whole lot of money, but they're really generous. And that, that church, man, they are so nice and, and welcoming. And I've never heard a bad thing come out of any of the, the people at, at the church of Sardis. And, 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 and man, there's no judgment there. Like that is such a judgment-free church that everybody like just kind of doesn't step on anybody's toes. It's just, you just go there and you just feel really loved. There's no arrogance. It's just some good old Southern people. It's really interesting because on the surface, to the rest of the city, this church had the appearance of being alive. This had, they had the appearance of being healthy on the outside, of, of thriving, and yet Jesus looks at the church as he always does. He doesn't get caught up in the appearance. He sees below the surface to see what it is, and he looks at these people and he says, though you think you're alive, you're actually dead. He says the the Holy Spirit is actually not present in your church. The life of God is not flowing through you. The activity of God is not in your midst. Those are some sobering words to receive from Jesus. 
Jesus in verse two, he says this, so, so wake up. He says, strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Verse three, remember therefore what you have received and heard. So Jesus comes and he gives this diagnosis. Hey, you're, you're dead. You're asleep at the wheel. But the, the reality is, and we can pick up from this letter, that that wasn't always the case for this church. That there was a time in their, in their past when they, when they were actually following Jesus. That there was a, a time in this church's history where, where they were actually led by the Holy Spirit and full of the Spirit and they were walking with God and there was a, a collective hunger in the people in the church of Sardis to, to not just know about God, but to know God. And it wasn't on the surface, it was in the hearts. But somewhere along the way, man, this church that had started so strong with so much potential and so much hope, though they had started strong, they had stopped short. And maybe this is you this morning. Maybe if you're being really honest, you're going, I used to burn so bright for Jesus. And my heart used to be God's heart. I would do anything for the Lord. Or maybe it's not you, but maybe it's somebody you love. And, and earlier this week on one of the prayer calls, one of our sisters starts praying and she starts praying for one of her siblings who one time walked with God and loved God. And, and we were listening to our sister pray and she just was praying just these out of tears in her eyes and you could just feel a broken heart. And isn't it true? Maybe you come here this morning and maybe it's your kid. Maybe it's your best friend or maybe it's your sibling, but you go, man, I remember the days where they used to walk with God. And isn't it true, church, that it is devastating when your heart is beating for God and somebody you love, man, their heart has just stopped beating. See, this church, Jesus doesn't look at this church and come with an iron fist. He comes at this church and he says, I remember, I remember what your heart used to look like and your life used to look like. And yet somewhere along the way, these people, they had stopped loving and following the real Jesus. And here's what's dangerous. Here's what's so dangerous about this letter and, and what we need to listen to and heed this morning. Though they had stopped following Jesus, the whole town thought they were still following him. And that's dangerous. Man, it is really easy to coast on the fumes of your faithfulness from your past. It's easy to be a part of a church that does have God's heart and that is trying to be led by the Spirit and is actively asking to be led by the Spirit, but it is so easy to come in and camouflage and just to coast with everybody else and your heart not be locked in with Jesus. And it's subtle. Guys, it is so subtle. But it's so easy to get there. Where, where your aim goes from, from being to build a relationship with Jesus and, and to know Jesus. And somewhere along the way, you get caught up in just trying to make people think that you're following Jesus. 
it's subtle, but it's real, man. You hop on a prayer call. You show up on a Sunday morning. You show up at house church. And your primary goal is to be seen by others. Man, we do this. And God's my, my word to you as, as your brother is, please don't settle for a life that, that simply has the appearance of walking with Jesus. When you settle for having the appearance of a life with Jesus, but you're not actually walking with Jesus, you're missing the best part, which is actually Jesus. The real Jesus who, who really loves you and who hears your prayers and wants nothing more than to be close with you and who wants nothing more than to, to answer your prayers and to give you strength and to comfort in the hard things that you're going through. There's nothing more that Jesus wants than to be actively involved in every one of your lives, not just your house church leader, your life. Please don't settle for a life where your, your goal is, is trying to manage your appearance and to impress others, but your heart is actually not beating for Jesus. Jesus looks at this church and and, and he loves him, and we know that he loves him because if he didn't love them, he wouldn't have sent a letter. He would just let them go on in their own sin, their own duplicity, but he cares too much about them. He sends this flare, this warning to this church. He looks at this people that he loves, and he says, you've gotten off. You've settled for a life that has the appearance of my presence, but my presence is not actually there, and his word is, wake up. Wake up. Jesus says some, some beautiful things, some instruction. He says, strengthen what remains and is about to die. And I love that idea that Jesus says. He, he says, man, it's, there, there's still an ember. And some of you this morning, you need to know that there, there's still an ember in your life. That God's not gone. God's not done with you. Yeah, you've had a rough patch and you've been walking in rebellious, but God sees the ember. And he wants to know if he can blow on that ember. Remember, God who holds the spirit, who, who longs to pour out the spirit, the same word is, is breath, is spirit. He longs to, to bring back into flame. He says, but you got to strengthen what remains. I remember when I was in high school, I tore my ACL. And after surgery, you go into rehab. And I remember that very first day of rehab, you know, they put you on this machine and they do it because they hate you, right? If you've ever done rehab. And they put you on this machine and they're like, I'm just kidding, Gary. You know, I'm just kidding. Oh, well, my wife too. My wife's like, I'm going to get you. She's PT. Anyways, so they put you on this machine and they literally just want you to start stretching that leg and your, and your muscles are so weak and your knee hurts so bad. And they literally just are trying to get you to straighten your leg and there's just like zero progress. But what they're doing is that they're targeting that one thing. They're not going, hey, get over on the dumbbells and do bench or do curls and, and get on the, the bench and, 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 do dumb, and, and do bench press. No, concentrate on that one muscle, that one thing right there. Give attention to it. And the Lord looks at us and he says, hey, you're, 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 you're spending all of your time on the appearance and below the surface, your heart's not beating for me. Strengthen that thing. Give attention, give priority to your relationship with God. That's what he's saying. Strengthen what 
remains. When I find myself doing this, I mean, even just this past week, I've been going, man, we're two weeks into this fast and I just feel like I'm just going through the motions. I feel like I'm showing up, but my heart is not in it. And so I'm telling you, guys, it's a part of life. You have moments, you have seasons like that, but it's not okay to acknowledge it and do nothing about it. And I'm like, oh yeah, the reason is I've, I've been neglecting just my heart before God. Just personal one-on-one time with God. I love Hudson on Thursday. He said, there's no replacement for intimacy with Jesus. There's no substitute for it. And I go, man, if, if, if you're down to an ember, if your heart is far from God, strengthen what remains. Pour back into your relationship with God. I love he keeps going this. He says, I found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. And Jesus is saying that to some of you this morning. And, and I want you to hear this. He doesn't say it's final. He says it's just unfinished. The thing about being unfinished is that there's possibility and there's hope and there's this desire that you just finish what you started. You started strong and you stopped. So what? Finish strong. A couple years ago, Courtney and I, we had plumber come over to our house and we um, got a, a new pipe run from the street to our house. And, you know, so the, the pipe where it comes in our house is in our basement through these cinder blocks. And one day Courtney was home by, I was at work or something. And, and she's like, Hey, there's a problem. I'm like, what's the problem? She said, there is water just gushing in from where that pipe is. And I'm like, what are you talking about? She said, yeah, it looks like they didn't caulk the pipe. And so all that ground, all the dirt, all the water is just literally coming into our basement. And so Courtney calls the plumber and he was pretty condescending. I'll give you his name so you don't ever use him. Just kidding. Um, but he's like, no, there's, we, we did the job right. And Courtney's like, listen, like you did not do the job right. I want you to come look. And so they finally come over and they're like, you're exactly right. We didn't do the job right. <laughs> and we weren't, we weren't, we were a little mad. I was gonna say we weren't mad. We were a little mad. That's true. We were a little mad but we just wanted them to finish it. You started this thing, finish it. And Jesus looks at us and he goes, guys, you started so strong. Why have you stopped? Yeah, life has been hard. You've had some hiccups. You've been hurt. Evaluate your soul. Are you content? Are you more joyful? Are you more peaceful? Are you more alive? Are you living more with purpose? Or are you more cynical and more jaded and more bitter and more angry and more frustrated at everybody and just a miserable person to be around? He says, finish what you started. Verse three says, remember therefore what you've received and heard, hold it fast and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what time I will come to you. He says, strengthen what remains. And then he says, remember. Guys, this is such a a, a beautiful gift from God just to to draw on your history with God. You want to jumpstart your heart and your connection with God again? One of the best things you can do is to remember. Remember what it was like when God forgave you of your sins. Like remember your, your rebelliousness in college and the first time you realized that the God who've seen at all and he chose to not deal with you with wrath but to come at you with mercy. Remember the, the ways that, that, that you used to walk with God when the spirit moved through your life. Remember. 
Remember what God said to you in your freedom prayer. Remember what he said about you. He says, remember what you've heard and received. Hold it fast. And then Jesus gives this beautiful invitation and repent. Guys, repentance is one of the greatest gifts of following Jesus. It's doing a 180. Man, if, if you stop following Jesus, start following him. If your intentions have been to impress others, bring that before him this morning and say, God, I want my intentions to be pure before you. And Jesus utters this warning because Jesus knows, man, there are actually consequences. Should you choose to spend your life trying to to play the game and wearing the mask and making everybody else think something about you that's not true, Jesus says, if you spend your whole life managing your appearance, but there's actually not a connection with me. He says, I'm going to come to you like a thief. And when a thief comes, you're, you're never ready for it. You're unprepared. And for a, a city like the city of Sardis, that, that two different times in their comfort and in their wealth, And in their arrogance and their perceived safety thought, no one could ever come and dethrone them twice. It happened in their city. And Jesus looks at this church and he says, church, learn from what happened in your city. And yet there are some encouraging words from Jesus. Some challenging words. And yet he says this in verse four. Yet you have a few people in Sardis who've not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me. Listen to this, dressed in white, for they are worthy. Verse five, the one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. And I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, but I'll acknowledge that name before my father and his angels. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the spirit says to the churches. And I love, Jesus looks at this church and he says, hey, not everyone started strong and stopped short. He said, there are some who started strong and you're still going. He says, let me tell you what what awaits those of you who are going strong. And let me tell you those who who heed this word to walk in repentance, who strengthen what, choose to strengthen what remains and, and remember my ways. He says, and he offers these four beautiful pictures and we're almost done. Please hang with me because this is the, the thing that awaits us. Our motivation, our hope, this is what Jesus says. He says, they will walk with me. You know, in the Persian court, the days of the Persian empire, the king's most trusted and favorite people were given the privilege of being invited to walk in the royal gardens with the king. They were called the companions of the garden. And I love this. Most of these people probably never got called to to take a walk with the king of Persia, but they knew about it. And Jesus says, for those who are faithful, you'll walk with me. One of my favorite things to do, come home after work, go on a walk around my neighborhood with my wife, my kids, to hold court's hand, to feel the sun in my face, to feel the breeze, to see my kids riding their bikes. And I go, man, Jesus says, if you are faithful, if you start strong and you finish well, you'll walk with him. There'll be a day, Laura, where you walk with Jesus. 
And Dylan, where you walk with Jesus, like walking, imagine walking at Radnor or Shelby Bottoms or the Appalachian Trail, wherever it is you like to walk, imagine walking there in the one who died for you. You and him, you have his full captivated attention. This is your reality. You will walk with Jesus, Kevin. He keeps going. He says, you'll be dressed in white. And in the ancient world, dressed in white had, had lots of meaning. But a couple of things that it meant is it white represented festivity and white represented victory. And so you'd put on your white robes to celebrate. This was the tuxedo. This was the, the, the wedding or the, the, the nightgown. You're really nice dress. And Jesus is painting this picture that they were so familiar with. He says, those who are victorious, it's going to be a party. And it's not just about festivity, it's, it's about victory. And so literally, in, when Rome would, would overthrow a city, the whole Roman Empire would, would be dressed in white. They would celebrate victory by the city wearing white. And I love those pictures that Jesus drew on. He says, stay faithful, stay locked into me, finish strong, and there will be more joy than you can currently even grasp. And the joy that awaits you from overcoming Satan and struggle and death, it's going to be the best party you've ever been to. He says, you will be, you'll walk with me. You'll be dressed in white. I love this. He says, I will never blot out your name from the book of life. In the ancient world, a king would literally keep a register of his citizens. And when someone would commit a crime or when someone would die, the king Erase your name. You're out. No longer a citizen of their kingdom. Think about the implications of that. And I love what Jesus says. He says, I will never blot out your name. No sin. You mess up. I'm not removing your name. You're mine. You're a citizen of my kingdom, my eternal kingdom. And I love this last thing. And he says, and I will acknowledge you before my father and his angels. You ever been honored publicly before? Maybe your boss calls you out and highlights you in, in a meeting in front of your whole team, just acknowledging your great work. Or maybe your spouse, man, speaks well of you at, at house church or in front of your family, at a family gathering, or, or maybe you're the teacher of the year. We're about to start seeing names park up, pop up on marquees all over the city, right? Like maybe you, you were honored in that way, and you think about it when you're honored publicly, what it does to you. And Jesus says, if you're faithful, there will be a day where in the presence of the Eternal Father, Yahweh God himself. Jesus will look at you, Caleb, and say, Father, Caleb's a real deal. Rochelle is a real deal. Austin and Lauren, they're the real deal. Corey's the real deal. He's mine. When Jesus himself, who we spent our whole life honoring and serving, where he will publicly in front of you, in front of the angel Gabriel who delivered the message to Mary and Joseph, in front of the angel Michael, in front of the heavenly host, where Jesus himself will publicly honor you. You think about that. And this is what's on the table for those who are faithful, for those who start strong and finish well. Here in just a minute, we're going to take communion.
And some of you come here this morning and you just kind of knew right away, man, I've settled, I've stopped short. And my encouragement to you is that there's nothing that God wants more than to pour out the spirit. The one who holds the seven spirits, he wants to pour out his spirit on you. And I encourage you during communion, as we're taking communion with the people that we're sitting, you're sitting around, or if you want to go receive prayer to respond, man, there'll be people, there'll be some men and women that, that would love to pray with you. Be really honest and just say, you know what, that's me. And God knows it. You don't have to fool. You don't have to pretend. Just take off the mask and pray that God will pour out his spirit on you. Some of you this morning, you know that you've just, it's not that you've stopped. You've stopped, but you've been playing the game. You've been putting on the mask. And I encourage you this morning, just come clean. Come clean with other people. Come clean before God. There's nothing more that God wants than just for, to, to blow on the ember of your heart. And some of you this morning, you've continued to walk with Jesus. Yet your heart is really saddened by people in your life who've stopped following Jesus. My encouragement is to keep praying. Keep praying. Keep praying. Keep praying. Right before I got up to teach, I felt like the Lord was just reminding me of, this sounds weird, but the process of smoking a like pulled pork, you're like, what? <laughs> First time I ever smoked meat, it took me 18 hours to smoke. It's not worth it, guys. It just wasn't. <laughs> I did it wrong. <laughs> but there's this thing that's called the, the stall. Where literally you, you watch the meat just steadily just heat up. You're trying to get it to 200 or something like that. I don't exactly know the temperature. What is it, Christian? What's the temperature? 204. 204. There we go. <laughs> trying to get it to 204. And, and there's a point where it literally will just stall. And it's like, is it ever going to get over 170? And, and it just stays there forever and ever. And, 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 and you're tempted just to be like, I'm done with this. Like, I'm over it, right? And, and that there's something about it just the pressure, the heat that takes to just finally break all of it down into making it something that you can eat. And there's some of you right now and you feel like there's a stall and you're being faithful. You're praying, you're, you're cultivating a heart for God and you, and you feel stalled in my encouragement just to stay there. Don't be tempted to grow weary. Don't grow weak, man. Don't quit. God is going to do something beautiful. And just because you're not seeing the fruit and just because you're not seeing answer to your prayers and just because this fast hasn't gone the way that you want, you keep your private life. You keep your heart before God and God will do something beautiful in your life. I'm gonna pray for us and then we'll take communion. So Lord, I pray that you would move. And God, that, that anyone this morning that, man, hasn't stopped short, would you not let them feel just like any, like don't, don't let them go, man, do I need to think about something? Like for those who have held true, who haven't soiled their clothes, God, would you encourage them this morning? And God, for those who have stopped short and those who have settled, God, please blow on the ember of their heart. And God, may they not leave this place with their heads hanging or feeling shame or discouragement. God, let them know, hey, this is the God of the heavens speaking to me and he's calling me back into the life. He's not condemning me. There's unfinished work to be done. And so God, I pray that you would move in every heart this morning. That there would be no shame, but that there would be conviction. There'd be transformation. And so God, would you pour out your spirit on us right now? 
We receive you, Jesus. We receive your love and your mercy. And we receive your words. And so move and minister to us right now. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I invite you to stand. There's communion all over the room. Bread, cup. You can come back to your seats. You can go to the respond van and receive prayer. So thankful for you.